Okay, if you could turn in your Bibles, please, tonight to the first epistle of Peter. Hebrews, James, first epistle of Peter. <clears throat> and just a few weeks ago, I was just actually looking through this and <clears throat> and just... You know, you read different books more than others, and, and probably First Epistle of Peter is not one I would read overly often, but I started to just read it, and just really encouraged me, and really just spoke different things to me, and I want to just share them tonight with you, just as, basically just as I've seen them, you know, so there's not a particular order, but just the things that, that Peter's saying here to encourage us, and the title of the message tonight is a hope and a future now. A hope and a future now. So Peter is basically talking, it says in the first verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter's talking to these people that have been scattered, strangers scattered throughout this area. And this is an area basically from in, in modern-day Turkey. And we know about the story of um, the persecution that came into Jerusalem. And the people were scattered. The church was scattered outwards because of the persecution. And a lot of people ended up in these particular areas. So Peter's coming to these people, and he's, he's coming to them. A scattered people. And when we think of scattered these saints have been scattered, both Jews and Greeks. And to me, it spoke of suffering. Because Peter goes on to talk about suffering that these people are going through, that these, these saints are going through. They've been scattered from their home. They're out of a place where it's uncomfortable. They're, 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 they've been sent from their homes. They're in a strange place. And they're under suffering. And it seems to be a that the suffering is following them wherever they go. We know the stories of the early church, how they would have went into a certain place, and we see it even with the Apostle Paul. And it was like persecution followed them. Suffering followed them. Temptations followed them. And these, these strangers, these, these Jews and Greeks, these saints are experiencing the same thing. You know, in verse chapter 1, 6 and 7, it says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the, appearing, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Through manifold temptations and heaviness. Chapter 3, verse 14, just let me read these to you. It says, But, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And four and one, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And in verses 12 to 9 of chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. 
On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But, not, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous, righteous scarcely be saved, where, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. These people are, are suffering. They're suffering in their lives. And it's the same as ourselves today where we find ourselves as Christians. And maybe tonight you're suffering. There's, there's, there's struggles and there's temptations in your life that are coming upon you. And sore trials. This is the people that Peter is writing to. And for us tonight that we can find a hope and we can find substance to encourage us and strengthen us tonight in some of these scriptures that we want to share. Peter understood their state because Peter in Acts 5 and 40 had been beaten. He had been arrested in Acts 5, Acts 12. Four times in total, Peter had been arrested. He had been threatened in Acts 4 and verse 21. And he had to deal also with strife from within the church. In Acts 11. Strife within the church. And he had all of this upon him as well. And even to the point in Second Peter. When he's writing. Because the, 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 these two epistles were written very, very close together. And Peter's at the end of his life. Remember the Lord had said to him. Men are going to take you where you do not want to go. Speaking of the death. That he would be a martyr for Jesus Christ. And he's writing these things to these people. So Peter understands. He can identify, even to the point of death, but he's encouraging them in their suffering. So at this stage, he's trying to build them up. He's trying to say, listen, go on. It's worth it. Pastor preached the other week the message, it is worth it. And he's saying to these people, it is worth it, even through this struggle. But how did he go on to encourage them? Well, verse 2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. First thing Peter reminds them of is that they are elect. And simply that means they are chosen. They are chosen of God. And tonight, if you know Jesus, you are chosen of God. He has elected you. He has elected you. John 15 says, if you have, not, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. To Paul, he said, he said, he is a chosen vessel unto me. Ephesians says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And even in 1 Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. First thing he reminds them of, that you are chosen. I'm basically saying, you are mine. I have chosen you out of this world. I have washed you clean and made you, sanctified you, and you have become my people. We have been picked out by God himself to be part of his family. And when I think of that, it makes me think, if I'm chosen of God, then I'm not alone. I am not alone. Because the, one of the things that suffering can do for us can make us feel as though we're alone. It can make us feel very lonely and very as if I'm on my own, nothing's happening here. Nobody's with me. Nobody understands. But this is not what God says. If we are chosen, then we are not alone. If you look at verse 2, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The whole Godhead was involved in choosing you out of this world. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is with us tonight. He is with us. We're not alone because the whole Godhead was involved in our salvation and the whole Godhead is with us tonight. If we're chosen, we're not alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even I am with you always, even on to the end of the world. You're not on your own. And the enemy and your feelings may make you tell you, you're on your own. You're alone. There's no hope for you. But God says, I'm with you. I am with you and I am for you, even on to the end of the world. He then goes on to say, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Because if we can get our eyes and know that God is for us, then we can know that grace and that peace multiplied. I like the way he puts that. Grace and peace be multiplied. Be multiplied. I want to know the peace of God in the midst of the storm. But I need to know that peace and that grace multiplied. That I can stand strong in God and in his peace. Even though the storm may be raging. But we can stand in his grace and in his peace. And I need to know that. You need to know that also. And Peter says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. He's encouraging them to cause them to stand steadfast. To stand steadfast. To not let the situation dictate to you. To not let the, the, the enemy take control of our minds and cause us to worry and fear. He wants us to stand strong and steadfast. Grace and peace be multiplied. Then he goes on into verse 3 and 4. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again onto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. It's only getting better. It's only getting better. God is for, has chosen us. God is with us. And then he starts to remind them of what God has done for them. God has come on to them, onto on to these, these people. And he says, I've come with abundant mercy. He has shown us abundant mercy. I heard pastor preach many years ago about the, these superfluous things of God when he says mercy and he says love and he says tenderness. But here it says abundant mercy, his loving kindness, his tender mercies. And that says a lot more. It says a lot, goes a lot deeper than just the surface. And here God, he's reminded, God has given us abundant mercy. And then he says he's given us a, li- a, li- a lively hope. I read the King James so. But basically it's a living hope. He has given us again, on, brought, gotten us again onto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is another thing that suffering will try and do to us. It will try and tell us that there is no hope. It will try and take our hope away from us. Let me just read from Job for you. You don't need to turn to this. We know the story of Job well. Or the, the, the trials of life and how the enemy had killed his family and, and the animals were destroyed and the whirlwinds and his wife then said, curse God and die. And here was a man that went through some trials and tribulations. And yes, he spoke his heart. He says, oh that, I might ha- oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant me the thing that I long for. Even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Then should I yet have comfort. Yes, I would, not, I would, not, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh of brass? Is not my help in me and his wisdom driven quite from me? He's lost his hope. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a harling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow and as a harling looketh for the reward of his work. So am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone and I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. He's in a bad shape. It's causing him to lose his sleep. He just wants to see the day, and even during the day, he struggles in his mind and in a situation. Just one more verse. He says in seventeen fifteen, 
And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? Job's in a bad way. And he's lost his hope. We know the story ends well. But suffering will try to take our hope from us. But these scriptures say to us, and remember Peter's speaking to these people that are going through temptations and trials. He says, but we have a living hope. We have a hope and a future. Suffering will try to rob that from us. But we need to realize that we have a living hope. Our future is safe and secure. God has not just chosen us, he is with us. He has not just given us mercy, he has given us abundant mercy. He has not just given us a hope, he has given us a living hope. And Peter's trying to build these people up because this is what is going to get them through. He then goes on to say, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. An inheritance. An inheritance is your future. Something you look forward to. And we have a great inheritance. To an inheritance incorruptible. What is our inheritance? Well, our inheritance is eternal life. It is heaven and everything that is in heaven. And it is the Lord himself. That is our inheritance. We know that we add the future's orange. This and our future is great. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we're going to rejoice because that is our hope. Don't let the suffering tell you that there is no hope, that there is no future. Because the suffering will try to say, there's nothing out there. There's nothing to look forward to. But he said, we have an inheritance. You and I have an inheritance in God. And it is a sure inheritance. It says it's incorruptible. There's no corruption will ever touch it. It's not like an earthly, er, earthly inheritance where it can rust. It can melt away. We've seen the, you know, over these past lot of years, people have put all their trust in their, their pensions, and I'm not saying don't have pensions and things like that, but they're, worth, they're not worth what they were. But our inheritance is incorruptible. There's no elements that are going to destroy our incorruptible inheritance. All that heaven has, heaven and all that is there is ours. Now and always. It's reserved in heaven for us with your name on it, with my name on it. It says it's undefiled. No one or nothing will touch it. Undefiled, it is beautiful. It is pure. It is holy. It is everything that you and I need. There's no defilement in it. 
We won't look at it and think, oh, don't like that bit of it. Look, there's a mark there. Every bit of it is undefiled. No one or nothing will touch it to lessen its value. It will always be perfect for us and no one and nothing can spoil it. It says it never fades away, undefiled, and it fadeth not away. It's there now. And it always will be. It's there right now. Our inheritance is there ahead of us right now. It won't fade away. It won't get dusty. It won't lose its shine. It won't lose its luster. If anything, the closer we get to it, we'll see that shine more because we start to look to it. You know, it's, it's funny to be talking to John. and Well, John's older than me now, so he is. So. <laughs> but it is as true as you get older. I'm 43 now. And I find myself starting to look forward. Or probably before I was 40, I was sort of wasn't looking too far forward. But you do, you start to think about the future. And you do start to think on heavenly things. And you do start to think, one day I'm going to be there. And I want to be looking forward and see the shine of my inheritance glow more and more in my life. I want to see that happen because it's not fading away. It's only becoming brighter to me because I'm starting to look towards it. And Paul Peter is encouraging these people under tribulation and under trials. And he's encouraging us tonight to look forward, to see our future, that it's not fading away. Look forward to it. And then he says, in heaven for you. No one else can have this. It doesn't belong to anyone else but you. There is an inheritance for you. God has made it, prepared it, and it's for you. Your name's on it. And no one else can have it. He's encouraging us to look forward. That fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Who are the you? Well, verse 5 tells us, who are kept by the power of God. Who are kept by the power of God. We cannot lose our inheritance. For we are kept by the power of God. As we walk with him in holiness and we look to him every day, he is keeping us. Kept by the power of God. Let me ask a question. What rival has God? We're kept by his power. What rival has he? Who can rival God's power? Because he is all powerful. Who can stand against God's power? This should encourage us. When I read this, it just really encouraged me. I'm kept by the power of God. What does Romans 8 and 31 say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Verse 39 of Romans 8. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no power in heaven. There's no power on earth. And there's no power under the earth. Can rival God. And we are kept by his power. By the power of God. For us to think that anything can pluck us out of his hand, we don't really understand the power of God then. And for any enemy to think that he can pluck us out of the hand of God is utter foolishness because we are kept by God's power. John 10, 27 to 29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. He says it twice. No one is able to pluck them out of my hand. Twice he says it. That twice is for us, to encourage us that we are kept by the power of God. He goes on in verse 6. Because he knows where they are. He says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Though now for a season, you are in heaviness. And trials can be heavy. They are heavy. But this is why it encourages them to look forward and to look to God. Because this is the thing that will get us through the trial. That will get us through the heaviness. Is to realize that we belong to God. He has chosen us. He is with us and he has given us an inheritance. We read that verse in, in Jeremiah that God has given us a hope and a future. And we know it so well that we just glance over it at times. But it's true. God has given us a hope and a future. And it is a sure hope and a sure future. And this is what Peter is saying to these, to these people. It says, though now for a season. Do you know, there's two, there's two things that will help us through a trial. The first one, we've just explained to ourselves there, is we look to God. We see what he has done for us. We see that we have a hope and a future and inheritance in him, that we have a living hope, that we have been given his abundant mercy that he has chosen us. And the second one is that the trial will not overwhelm us. Look what it says. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Your trial, my trial, 
and this is the hard, sometimes hard to see, is working for us. It's working for us. Now, if I was telling you that tonight, you would look at me and think, yeah, Martin, but I'm not telling you that tonight. This is the word of God is telling us this tonight. Our trial is working for us. What does it say in Romans? All things are working together for good. All things are working together for our good. Now that's sometimes hard for us to see, but this is why Peter is encouraging these people to look to God, to look to their inheritance, to look up and to look forward and to see what is coming at the end. Realize that your trial is not always going to be there because it says now for a season. Now for a season. Now the trial of this life until we go to be with the Lord is always going to be here. But there's specific trials that maybe you're in tonight and there's a season for it. But God is going to bring it to an end in his timing and his will. And it's going to work for you. It is going to work for you. Because it's only for a season. I heard Sally say one time in one of her phrases, she would normally say, it came to pass. It comes, it passes. Our trial is working for us. And it may be for a season, but it will come to an end. And you may be just entering one. You may be in the middle of one. And by God's grace, maybe you're coming to the end of one. But it's working for us. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's nothing nicer, there's nothing more encouraging to see saints that have gone through things. I read a lot of old, old, older, about older saints and it encourages me how they handled things. And they went through some serious things. But they went through them. And they went through rejoicing. Not saying there wasn't heaviness and times when they didn't know what to do. But they came out the other end. And it brought praise and honor and glory unto Jesus Christ. Look to your, look to your future. And realize that the trial is working for you. What does it say in Hebrews? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. I've just added wee pieces in here just in my own thoughts. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith in spite of the testings. Because Paul said it's all working out for the good of the gospel. Without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. For you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Sounds like a trial. 
knowing in yourselves that you, that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. That's our inheritance. Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. That's encouraging. And Peter's saying to these people, hang in there because it's all worth it. It is all worth it. God has it in the control. It's all subject to his power. And he will keep you in it and keep you through it until he brings you home and we come into our own inheritance. You think of Jesus himself. Jesus was the example of this. Because it says he endured the cross because he's seen what was the glory set before him. He endured the cross because he's seen what was on the other side of it. And we have to, by faith, see what is on the other side. And listen, it is glorious. It is glorious. Because we come into what we were into the inheritance that God has for us of heaven, of eternal life. What does it go on to say? Whom having not seen you love, and in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's why I put in the title, A Hope and a Future Now. Because he said to these people, look at what's coming. Look at what's coming. Don't look at the now, look what's coming. Realize that God is bringing glory out of this. And he is preparing you. And he's, fitting you, he's getting you fit for heaven. And he says to them, rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith. Now we can never receive the fullness of that until we're there. But we can receive the measure of that now. And this is why we need to look at what's coming. To, to encourage ourselves. To lift our faith to get our heart and our minds focused. Because this is, God, this is what God has promised for us. We're looking to that living hope. We're looking to that sure future, that sure inheritance. Because God has promised it. God has promised you and I that future. So he says, Receive the, receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. Look to the future. Look to the inheritance that God has given us. We've got to go through this, however long it is, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, who knows? But listen, we're going to go into eternity and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Let me just read one verse to you. Then we'll close.
says, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto him, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said? A little while and you shall not see me. And again a little while and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman when, we, with this, a woman when she is in travail hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart, heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. you know, look at Hannah there, and Hannah's very soon going to have a baby. And there's sorrow in that. Not sorrow as in, but there's uncomfortableness. There's a, a testing time in it. There's a time when you just want to say, I just wish this was over. And sometimes life can be like that. But as soon as that child's born, it's as if that never happened. It's as if that never happened. And Hannah holds that wee wondle in her hands. She'll be thinking, Ah, it was awful sore. That was painful. No. Hannah's going to, well, knowing Hannah, Hannah's going to be cooing and, and finan, a bit cute, so there well. But there's a joy. And we get through this life and we see that inheritance and we see the face of Jesus, we think, I will not even remember that. That'll be the last thing we think of. Jesus says, rejoice. You sh your heart shall rejoice and your no joy no man taketh from you. There's coming a time when it's all going to be finished and it's only going to be a glorious future. Peter's encouraging these, these men and women, these saints who are scattered, who are struggling, who are going through persecution, who are in heaviness. And he says, look to your future. See what the Lord has done for you. Because it's coming. And it will come. Because the Lord has promised. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you tonight that you have chosen us. Lord, you've chosen us before even the foundation of the earth. You picked us out. You made us part of your family. You've made us kings and priests unto our God. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are with us always, even on to the end of the world. Lord, you have shown us not just your mercy, but your abundant mercy. 
And that abundant mercy is still flowing every single day to your people. And you have given us a living hope, an active living hope. But it is a sure hope because your promises are sure. We thank you, Lord, for the inheritance that you have given us. Incorruptible, undefiled, that will never fade away, reserved in heaven for us. And we thank you, Lord, that we are kept by your power and no man will ever pluck us out of your hand. Lord, I pray for your people tonight that they would know that grace and that peace multiplied. The Lord, that you would give them the strength where they need it right now for every single day ahead, Lord God, until you come again. And Lord, when we come to that day, Lord, we won't even consider what we have went through when we look into your glorious face. Lord, we magnify you. We thank you, Lord, that you are coming again. We prepare ourselves to receive you, Lord God. And we give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.